KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. For two weeks at the end of the summer, the Philadelphia area was gripped by a question Where is Danilo Cavalcante? Breaking news on KYW News Radio. A prison break in Chester County. A man convicted of murdering his girlfriend is on the run after escaping custody. He is an extremely dangerous man with nothing to lose. Day six of the manhunt for an escaped convicted murderer. Now enters its 10th day. I'm not walking in any fear, but I'm very frustrated. Everyone's afraid. Danilo Cavalcante is proving to be one elusive guy. Coverage of the search didn't just dominate KYW News Radio in Philly. The longer the search dragged on, the more it became a top story everywhere, from cable news channels to international tabloids. Damon McCool was following along. I was plugged into how this person was surviving while being hunted. Listen, it was hard not to be. This story had everything suspense, shocking twists and turns. It also kind of had a happy ending in the sense that innocent people and law enforcement didn't get hurt. The whole thing was total movie script material. But beneath all the surface-level drama that a chase like this creates, it also got Damon thinking about other things, deeper-seated things. The resources that are being marshaled by law enforcement to help capture this person are so intense. It makes me think about the way that we fund police and other law enforcement agencies and how far that funding goes. And at the end of the day, the man was caught by a dog, you know? So I was, I was tuned in in that way. Why was Damon McCool having these thoughts? Damon's the senior specialist of research and special programming at Eastern State Penitentiary. During its heyday in the early to mid-1900s, Eastern State was home to some of the most notorious criminals in the country, like the infamous mobster, Al Capone. It also happened to be about a mile and a half away from Center City, Philadelphia, and what's now become one of the most popular neighborhoods in the entire city, Fairmount. When it comes to escape, the way that the man escaped from the Chester County Jail, it definitely draws comparisons to Eastern State. This is The John Cast, a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia. I'm Brian Seltzer. Less than a month removed from a manhunt that had people watching around the world and upended a typically tranquil suburban town, we visit Philly's most famous prison. What were some of the legendary escape attempts that happened there? Is there anything similar about prison escapes then and now? And how can a place like Eastern State help us do a better job of thinking critically about prison and the people who are sent there? I met Damon McCool at the main entrance to Eastern State Penitentiary on the north side of the 2100 block of Fairmount Avenue on a late September morning. It was gray out, and there was a chilly, stiff breeze. So the space that we're looking at right now, it's commonly referred to as a sally port, so an entry port in and out of a prison. It looked different. Part of Damon's job is to study the history of Eastern State, which at one point was the most famous and expensive prison in the world. The other part of his job is to stay on top of contemporary issues that involve prisons, like mass incarceration and criminal justice reform in general, and think about how the past and present intersect. Right away, Damon was in storytelling mode. So I thought that the front gate would be a good place for us to start. Uh, It's the only break in the wall, so it's the only entrance or exit of Eastern State Penitentiary. 
when most people think about escapes from this building, they think about the most famous one that went under the prison. Most people who escaped went over the prison walls, but some of my favorite escapes are people that walked right out this front gate. I was not expecting to hear this. The most common way for people to try and escape Eastern State Penitentiary was through the front door? You're talking about the first true penitentiary on the planet, one that was supposed to have this sophisticated design scheme. And you're telling me you could just waltz right out the front gate onto Fairmount Avenue? How could anyone pull that off? Sometimes people were able to put on civilian clothes and pass as either prison workers or visitors and walk out the front gate that way. Uh, Sometimes people hid in barrels coming out of the kitchen or underneath trucks that were coming and going out of the building. And so that's how people would have passed through the space to escape. It must have been pretty daring. It is daring, but at the same time, scaling a 30-foot wall you know, twice, right, on the front and the back end, that's daring. Or digging a 100-foot tunnel underneath concrete and through terrain that you're not familiar with, that's also daring. So in some ways, I think that trying to escape out the front gate might have been the lower risk of all of the avenues, right? Okay, so already we can establish a parallel between some of the escapes at Eastern State Penitentiary and the Danilo Cavalcante manhunt. If you saw that video, you know what I'm talking about. There he was scaling up a wall of Chester County Prison in broad daylight, right in front of a doorway to the prison, and there's a security camera staring him right in the face. In this day and age, it can't get more gutsy than that. But here's one big difference that Damon McCool pointed out. So, for example, if somebody escapes from a maximum security prison in Pennsylvania today, they're usually surrounded by forestry, you know, a wooded area, not a lot of eyes. But escaping from Eastern State, I think one of the biggest challenges would have been all of the eyes around at any given time. A lot of the escapes happen during the daytime as well. So you don't have the veil of night to sneak around. You're, you're competing with everybody else on the street to try and be unnoticeable. With those big 30-foot stone-and-mortar walls, that Damon was talking about, Eastern State is hulking. It takes up more than a full square city block. Anybody who passed Eastern State from the day it opened in 1829 until today would be greeted with this Gothic architecture, this very imposing structure, sort of looks like a fortress. There would have been a lot of staff in here. Actually, if you look up above us, there's some glass with holes in it. That would have been staffed by a guard, and those holes are so that when a truck passed through, specifically containing food or dry goods, a guard could shove a pole down into the truck to make sure that nobody was hiding in it. So some of the architecture and design features of the space we're in right now is specifically designed to prevent escaping. But it obviously didn't stop people who were incarcerated there from trying. If you look at the overhead of a blueprint for Eastern State Penitentiary, the layout kind of looks like a ceiling fan with a bunch of blades. The blade that points straight down the middle leads to the front entrance of the prison on Fairmount Avenue. The other blades represent different cell blocks. There were 15 of them. With this radial design plan, the thinking back in the mid-19th century when Eastern State opened was that security was state-of-the-art. Eastern State is maybe best known for its architecture. And part of the consideration in designing the building was to keep people inside of it. Nevertheless, people are very resourceful, very creative. Freedom 
allows people to do things that they may not have thought that they were capable of doing, doing things that prison administrators didn't think people were capable of doing. I think the people that ran Eastern State thought that the security was top of the line, but the over 100 people that escaped from Eastern State might challenge that idea. After we check out the front of the prison, Damon and I start heading clockwise around the interior of the grounds. He brings me to a spot just outside the entrance to cell block 7. This is where arguably the most famous escape attempt in Eastern State's history went down. In 1945, there was a prisoner right on the other side of this wall named Clarence Kleindunst. He was a trusted prisoner and he was put in that cell to repair it. So he's doing all kinds of work in there. He's got all kinds of tools. He's making all sorts of noise. Debris is everywhere. So the prison administrators were not suspicious at all of all the activity he was doing. But he actually spent that year digging a 100-foot tunnel from that cell out onto Fairmount Avenue. Hold up. Stop the tape right there. Just to make sure you didn't miss this part, this guy Clarence Kleindienst, he built a 100-foot tunnel out of his prison cell. This escape became famous not just because of how elaborate it was. It also involved a serial bank robber, Slick Willie Sutton. He had been sentenced to 25 to 50 years at Eastern State. This was his fifth escape attempt. There's a white line on the ground that shows the path of the tunnel. It goes about 15 feet underground and about 100 feet towards the wall. And on April 3rd, 1945, Clarence Kleindienst, his cellmate, and 10 other incarcerated people all escaped through the tunnel first thing in the morning. So it was at breakfast. Prisoners were moving around, going to the dining hall, and that allowed them an opportunity to sneak out to this cell block, hop in the tunnel, and get out. All of them were caught. Some folks were caught immediately. Some folks were caught later. Several of the incarcerated people who escaped stole a milk truck, which might sound familiar to the more recent escape in Pennsylvania, but they were caught as well. Some folks made it all the way to New York City before they were caught, but eventually everyone was caught and brought back to Eastern State. So this is the spot of the most famous uh, escape here at Eastern State. It just seems impossible to me that they'd be able to pull something like that off, even all the way back then. Right. And the tunnel wasn't scrappy. It was shored up with wood. It had ventilation. There were lights in it. So it was a very sophisticated build, something that took a really long time and a lot of skill. And this brings us to another common theme of prison escape attempts. Whether you're Willie Sutton in the mid-20th century or Danilo Cavalcante in the summer of 2023, if you're going to make a legit attempt to get out of a heavily guarded place like a prison, you've got to be creative. There has to be some degree of ingenuity to it. Cavalcante, for as brutal and horrific as his crimes were, if anything, he proved he was clever, resourceful, adaptable. How else do you stay on the run for 14 days? It goes beyond escaping. The intelligence, creativity, artfulness, ingenuity that's behind prison walls is immeasurable. I mean, Eastern State is full of inventors, musicians, poets, and that's true for people in prisons today. So I think you're absolutely right that sometimes this intelligence and ingenuity and creativity is often overlooked. And unfortunately, we only hear about it when there's something like this, an escape. You know, we don't hear when an incarcerated person publishes a book or releases a catalog of music or is nominated for a Nobel Prize or something like that. We really only hear about their creativity and ingenuity when there's something salacious like this. I decided to hang on to that train of thought until a little later in my visit with Damon. We'll circle back to it in a bit. But first, I wanted to get back to the tour. I was so into this. 
let's hear some more stories about escape attempts. So right now we're walking along what we call the East Road. So to our left is the East Wall, and on the other side of the wall is Corinthian Avenue. So this is the location of one of the earlier escapes of the 20th century. It happened in 1923, a time of enormous turbulence here at Eastern State Penitentiary. The prison was known for alcohol and heroin and prostitution and corruption and nepotism. And it's possible that some of the people that escaped in 1923 used that chaos as a cloak in which to escape from. This is not to say that this was the case at Chester County Prison, where Danilo Cavalcante was being held while he was waiting to be transferred to a state correctional institution. But the idea of incarcerated people living in poor or inhumane conditions That's something that's still going on to this very day. So July 1923, there's about half of a dozen prisoners. Several of them are master carpenters. So they built a 30-foot ladder in several smaller pieces that could easily be assembled together. Somehow they were able to sneak a revolver into the penitentiary, and they used that to hold the guard hostage. While the guard was being held hostage, they assembled this ladder. They propped it up against this wall facing Corinthian Avenue, and they scaled the wall that way. Everybody was caught, except for this one young prisoner named Leo Callahan. He was never seen again after this escape. He was also a Marine, so he may have had some of the skills needed to not only scale the wall, but also to remain at large for all of these years. And we have no idea what happened to him after his escape. The Leo Callahan escape, another one of Eastern State's notable tales. Callahan was sentenced to 18 and a half to 24 years for assault and battery with an intent to kill. For a while, he was thought to be the only person who ever got out of Eastern State and never was caught. Over time, Eastern State has pieced together that at least three other people who were incarcerated there got out in the mid to late 1800s, so that brings the total to four. Perpendicular to the stone wall where Callahan made his climb, there's a chain link fence, and it's got a sign on it with Callahan's mugshot. Just looking at this sign right here, it says, Escape is difficult. Only about 100 inmates managed to do it. But avoiding recapture might be harder still. Leo Callahan did both. It seems like the escape from the prison might be the hardest part. And once you're out in the wild, where there's hundreds of thousands or millions of people in a city, then you can blend in. Why was it believed to be perhaps easier to get out than stay out? Yeah, it's a really good question. So in the 19th century, when somebody escaped from Eastern State, it was really the prison administration's job to catch them. So when somebody escaped, the warden would go into the city and personally look for this person, maybe with one or two other guys. In the 20th century is when we start to see a a way more militarized approach to catching somebody when they're released from prison. This methodology was certainly on full display during the Cavalcante manhunt. It wasn't just the Chester County prison warden looking for him. By the end of the search, you had nearly 500 officers involved, from Pennsylvania State Police to the U.S. Marshals to Border Patrol, all these agencies combining their efforts and resources together to try and track down one crafty, sneaky, 5-foot, 100-pound prison escapee. This is a 20th century phenomenon. In the 19th century, it was really just the job of the warden and his crew to go into the city and find people. Maybe that's why some people successfully escaped in the 19th century and far fewer escaped successfully in the 20th century. Eastern State Penitentiary was open for a long time, nearly 150 years. 
that also means is that for parts of two centuries, residents in Fairmount were living with a maximum security prison in their backyard. So how did that go over with neighbors? How did it compare to what we saw happen in Chester County when, during the search for Danilo Cavalcante, we saw tiny, peaceful towns turned upside down, both literally and psychologically? Every time these sirens would go off, the next morning we would get down and look for footprints. We'll hear from some of these residents and get into the community impact of Eastern State Penitentiary in Fairmount when we come back. This is the Johncast. I'm Brian Seltzer. At the end of September, I stopped by Eastern State Penitentiary. It had been about two weeks since the 14-day manhunt for convicted killer Danilo Cavalcante had come to a peaceful end, and I had prison escapes on the brain. I figured there was no better place in the area to go than the famed Fairmount Historic Site. But I also wanted to see if there might be any overlap between the themes and takeaways from a modern-day prison escape and prison escapes from the past. So now we're in the north part of the prison, so we're facing a wall, and on the other side of the wall is Brown Street. This is my guide for the day, Damon McCool. He's Eastern State's Senior Specialist of Research and Special Programming. And then what's this area? What was this area for? Just more holding cells? Yeah, so we've got cell block four here on our right, cell block three over to the left, which was the prison's hospital, and we have this unique space right in the middle, which was a baseball diamond, historically. Baseball had become a big part of cultural life at Eastern State Penitentiary in the early 20th century. You can still see the historic backstop back there. Prison officials even put a chain-link fence on the top of the north wall to try and prevent home runs from going over the wall. It didn't work very well. Prisoners hit thousands of baseballs over the wall. The walls at Eastern State Penitentiary were 30 feet high. For context, the legendary green monster at Fenway Park in Boston is just seven feet taller. We know from oral history interviews that we've done with people that grew up in the neighborhood that getting a baseball that was hit over by a prisoner and being able to throw it back over was a rite of passage in the neighborhood. So you knew that you were kind of like, you had grown up once you could throw a ball back over the wall. I keyed in on this anecdote right away. It really jumped out at me. Why? Because it pointed to a potentially positive, maybe even playful interplay between the prison and the community that surrounded it. I really wanted to explore this angle more because in Chester County, the prison has become a source of anger, frustration, and tension in the aftermath of the Cavalcante escape. Listening to Damon McCool paint a picture of how the Fairmount community interacted with Eastern State, the dynamics sounded a lot different. People were constantly coming in and out in ways that would be unrecognizable to a 21st century observer. So when Eastern State opened in 1829, it was a tourist attraction. You could buy a ticket as a civilian and come into Eastern State and tour it and talk to people who were incarcerated and see how this experiment was going. That is, of course, not something that you can do today. Back in the earliest days of Eastern State, there was essentially about one and a half miles of empty open space between it and City Hall. By the time the prison closed 140 years later, in the early 1970s, there was a full-blown neighborhood, a community that encompassed it. Eastern State is now literally the epicenter of Fairmount. It defines the neighborhood and its main commercial corridor of cafes, bars, restaurants, and other small businesses. In the 20th century, as the neighborhood started to encircle the penitentiary, it became part of life in Fairmount. 
prisoners made things that were sold in a store facing Fairmount Avenue. Those items were sold for generations. There was a relationship of sports, not just with baseballs going over the wall, but outside teams coming in to play the prison team. Eastern State was part of the Philadelphia Chess Club. Anytime they had a match, their opponent had to come into the prison to play them. Children were vaccinated at Eastern State. Music groups, bands, orchestras, choirs came in. Legislators, temperance organizations in the early 20th century. So Eastern State had a very fluid relationship with the neighborhood. People weren't discouraged from interacting with the building or the people that occupied it. The thing I remember most is the baseballs. Everybody mentions that. The ball yard used to be at the corner of uh, 22nd and Brown. And every so often, uh, a Babe Ruth in there would hit a ball over the wall, and the guards would call or throw it back, but obviously we would run with it. This is the voice of Raymond Holstein. He grew up a few blocks from Eastern State Penitentiary. He was interviewed in 1993 as part of Eastern State's Task Force Oral History Project. My father was a house painter, and because of that, he owned an automobile early on before any of our neighbors had one. So he rented a garage on Fairmount Avenue and used to park the car there in the evenings. And one evening, when he was walking home from the, uh, from the garage, he passed the corner of 22nd and Brown, and he heard a voice say, hey, buddy, please help me. When he went over, he found it was a guard laying on the ground. And apparently what happened, the prisoner had escaped by making a rope in his cell and going over the wall. In the process, the guard must have seen him, and the prisoner struggled with the guard and threw him over the wall. I don't recall, you know, his the guard's condition, whether he survived or what have you, but uh, that was a story my father told many, many times. But even though this escape pretty much happened right near the Holsteins' home, Raymond's family wasn't phased. They didn't move, they didn't dwell on the incident much, Heck, Raymond said he didn't even think they locked their doors. As far as living next to a prison, I, I get a chuckle when I hear all these uh, protests on the television today about don't put a prison in my backyard. We grew up with it, and uh, I never remember being told uh, don't go near the prison or be, don't talk to the prisoners or uh, uh, was, just, um, was just accepted. I mean, we lived here, and the prison was here, and... Uh, we, we just never thought much about it. Harry Exigian was interviewed for the Oral History Project around the same time. His parents' house was a half block north of Eastern State. They sort of felt that we were safe down at that end there. In fact, the odd part of it was when, like at night, we would see the guards up in the, you could see the lights from, from the guard stations, and uh, you would see them there with their holding their rifles, and the machine gun would be facing down toward the court, courtyard, and then uh, they had these big searchlights, and they would move them back and forth, and it sort of was reassuring to us that, you know, we knew somebody was watching us as well as the prisoners. Now, this isn't to say that living near a prison didn't come with some disruptions every now and then. Florence Crescenzo was another 21st Street resident. She remembers the sirens. And the sirens were very, very loud, very loud. That's how Eastern State would let residents know that a person who was incarcerated there had gotten out. It would really scare us. We were kids, and we did not lock our windows or doors at that time. And that was that one thing that we were always 
told, as soon as you hear the sirens, run down and lock your doors. Oh, my God. They had like a deep, throaty roar, and you would fall out of bed. This is Harry from 21st Street again. If the breakout sirens ever went off, it was usually around 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and all of us would tumble out of bed, and we'd run for the shutters in the house, and we would close the shutters and bolt them from the inside, and then my dad would sit up in a chair all night with his baseball bat to make sure none the, uh, the escaped convict wouldn't try to get into our house. But later in his interview, Harry indicated that even though these events were unsettling, especially for a young kid like himself at the time, they didn't quite rise to the level of a major concern. It seemed to me that there was no repercussions from the prison being here or anything like that. It was just people sort of, I know if they felt the way I did, and I'm sure they did, they felt like it was a secure thing and all these baddies were in there and we were on the outside and we had guards watching over us. So we felt it was a good thing. This was the prevailing sentiment Damon McCool found when he went back through the oral history project. The prison was there, but by the 20th century, it had just become part of the neighborhood. I get the sense that people liked living near the building. It's actually when the prison becomes abandoned that the neighborhood starts to disregard it and not like it anymore. When the prison is no longer full of incarcerated people is when the neighborhood starts to turn against it. How telling is that, that Damon said, based on research, the prison only became a consensus problem, not when it was open for over 140 years, but after it closed in the early 1970s. This obviously represents a huge difference between the way things were around Eastern State Penitentiary and how people feel in Chester County, at least in the immediate aftermath of the Danilo Cavalcante manhunt. People in Chester County are angry, frustrated. They wanted answers. In Fairmount, people felt a different way about having the prison there. People felt very comfortable here with it, and they did not like to see it closed down. Thomas Ruth lived in Fairmount forever, practically his whole life. He was 67 at the time he did this interview for the Eastern State Penitentiary Oral History Project in 1993. The house he grew up in was a block away from the prison. They kept the property in very good repair. The sidewalks were always clean. The weeds were always removed. The snow was always shoveled. But once they closed it down... Well, the neighborhood just went down. People did not feel as secure around here. I guess they figured if the, the, the state was moving out whatever interest they had in the area, maybe they thought it was detrimental to the real estate in the area, which apparently it was not because the real estate went up. But it was unfortunate to see it, it closed down because seeing the prisoners out there working, I don't know, it just gave some character to the area. But once it became an abandoned castle, I don't know, it just hasn't seemed the same without it. For about 20 years after it closed in 1971, the fate of Eastern State Penitentiary was up in the air. One of Philadelphia's mayors wanted to make it a new criminal justice center. Other people wanted to preserve it. Finally, in 1991, the Pew Charitable Trust held a Halloween fundraiser there that was the precursor to what's now become Eastern State's signature annual attraction, Halloween Nights. In the years that followed, the prison would experience a rebirth as a museum. Then in 2017, Eastern State officially adopted a new mission statement that focused on interpreting the legacy of criminal justice reform. It's a topic that Damon McCool is always thinking about. 
we're talking about a place that has its origins almost 200 years ago. Right. Yet some of the same issues over two centuries in the criminal justice system have persisted. They haven't gone anywhere. Absolutely. And some of those same methods are still applied. So prison administrators at Eastern State realized pretty quickly that solitary confinement was dangerous and damaging. Yet today in the United States on any given day, there's between 60 and 100,000 people living in long-term solitary confinement. Yet we knew 200 years ago that solitary confinement caused mental illness, exacerbated existing mental illness, caused people to self-harm and things like that. Yet it's still used today as a way to control people inside prison. It seems like you guys don't shy away from some of the problems and pain points that the prison had in trying to capture its history. I guess we can't really do that, right, if we want to be authentic to the purpose of telling history. The people that ran Eastern State had innumerable challenges in doing it. And that goes for people who are working in prisons today as well. So we often ask our visitors, you know, what does an ideal prison look like? How should a prison staff interact with incarcerated people to achieve the goals of both the prison and the goals of the individual who's incarcerated? These are topics that the founders of Eastern State were trying to grapple with and that people running prisons today are trying to grapple with as well. At this point, I'm beginning to wrap up my visit to Eastern State. Damon and I were talking inside an old cell block that's now a conference room. It had all the right vibes from the stone walls to the skylight above us with bars over it. Before I left, I did want to circle back to this idea that Damon had thrown out there earlier in the morning about what happens when prison escapes get sensationalized. Because, hey, I was certainly lapping up all the Danilo Cavalcante coverage I could get. I couldn't get enough of the coverage. So I was wondering how escapes were covered back in Eastern State's heyday. This is something that Damon's researched. When people escape from Eastern State, what type of reaction did it get in the media? Was there a lot of press coverage? Was it something that caused a big stir? The coverage of escapes was, in the 20th century, nonstop front page news because it was so sensational. I think that we see that carry over into the 21st century as well. And with social media and the internet, it's amped up even more than it would have been historically. And what gets lost when these stories of escapes are sensationalized? I think that we lose the humanity of the people in prison. So if one person escapes, the news coverage is going to zone in on that one person, talk about the seriousness of their crime, emphasize how dangerous they are, reiterate to the reader that if they confront this person, that violence is guaranteed. And we lose the humanity and dignity of the millions of other people who are in prison. To Damon, this is a problem. And he hopes a place like Eastern State Penitentiary can use its past and its popularity to help the thousands of people who visit there every year better understand the complex issues happening in the present, like the themes we saw emerge during the manhunt for Danilo Cavalcante. We are not trained to think critically about prisons or people in prisons. We're trained not to see them and not to think about them. When somebody escapes from prison, it lifts that veil and it makes us confront the issue of prisons and people in prisons in ways that we weren't thinking about it before. The John Cast is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcasts and is made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickert, Sabrina Boyd Serka, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, 
And me, Brian Seltzer. Additional audio was provided by Eastern State Penitentiary Historic Site. Interviews that you heard with the residents of Fairmount were conducted by Hal Kern in April 1993 as part of the Eastern State Penitentiary Task Force Oral History Project. You can follow the John Cast and KYW News Radio on X and all other social media platforms. We're going to post some of the content we got from our visit to Eastern State Penitentiary, so be on the lookout for that. You can listen to the John Cast free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time.